The epistle for today's Mass is taken from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Brethren, I make known unto you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast after what manner I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and after that by the eleven. Then was he seen by more than five hundred brethren at once, of whom many remain until this present, and some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen also by me, as by one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace in me has not been void. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the seventh chapter of the gospel of Mark. At that time, Jesus was going out of the coast of Tyre, came by Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they brought to him one deaf and dumb. And they besought him that he would lay his hand upon him. And taking him from the multitude apart, he put his fingers into his ears, and spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he groaned and said to him, Epheta, which is, Be thou opened. And immediately his ears were opened. And the string of his tongue was loose, and he spoke right. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more that he charged them, so much the more a great deal did they publish it. And so much the more did they wonder, saying, He has done all things well. He has made both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, when our Lord came upon this earth, he revealed to the human race things that they had never known before, or at least things that they could only guess at before. The primary example of this, of course, is the mystery of the Holy Trinity. In the Old Testament, the Jews knew absolutely nothing about that mystery, and our Lord told us about it. Most of the doctrines that our Lord revealed when he came concerned his own person. He himself was like an incarnate revelation of supernatural truths, showing in himself and in his life the mysteries of the incarnation, the redemption, the resurrection, these things that are mentioned by St. Paul today in the epistle, and the mystery of our church, our Lord's mystical body, but our Lord's life was, was much more than a representation of supernatural truths. It was also a representation of life itself. In other words, our Lord didn't just teach us new things that we were to believe. He taught us a new way to live life. The revelation that the incarnate word provided us was not just a question of dogmas that we were to believe. It was a re revelation of a behavior that we were to imitate, a way of life to follow. And this is what our Lord indicates when he says that he is the way. He's the truth and that he reveals supernatural mysteries to us, 
but he's the way in that he shows us how we are to live if we want to reach heaven. And just as the mysteries that he revealed concern things that are beyond the natural world, like the mystery of the Trinity, mystery that's contained in the very life of God, they're beyond anything that we could know by our reason alone, so too the life that he led, in which it is an example for us, is a life that is completely supernatural. It was a life that seemed to rise above our normal human condition, and that it seemed to work independently of the things of this earth. And so I want to give three aspects of this new type of life that our Lord revealed when he came on this earth. And I think you probably already know what those three aspects are. The first one is poverty. Our Lord spoke about this aspect of his life when he said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. What, he's, what our Lord is pointing out in, in, in saying this is that he does not have property. He does not have earthly possessions. He doesn't have a house which he owns. And as a result, he's not bound by any earthly possessions. He's somehow detached from the goods of this world. He lives as one not possessing the goods of this world. We know that in the apostolic company there was money and that, that Judas was, was our Lord's accountant. But they did not have any possessions. They did not have a house or donkeys or carts or, or whatever the normal possessions of people at that time were. Um, they just had the money they needed to buy their food and subsist upon. It was a condition even that our Lord made that if you wanted to follow him, you had to adopt that manner of living. You had to be willing to give up your possessions. When he says the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has has no place to lay his head. He's talking to someone who says, I want to follow you. And he's saying, okay, you can follow me, but this is the way I live. This is the condition of my life. And so if you want to be the intimate follower of me, you have to live the same way. And you know that the priests of the Society of St. Pius X, we don't take a vow of poverty. But that doesn't mean that we're, we're not supposed to practice poverty or imitate this way of life of our Lord to some degree. Um, we can actually own things, but we are meant to imitate our Lord's way of life as closely as possible. So we're meant to, to have as supernatural a life as possible. And that's why, for instance, we don't get to choose where we live. Our superiors decide where we live throughout the course of, of our life. Once, once we're ordained, our superiors just call us up and say, you know, this is where you're moving. This is, this is the way it goes. Um, and that's also why we don't possess homes. We're, we're, we're meant to rise above these earthly things. The second aspect of the new type of life that our Lord manifested was chastity, perfect chastity, consecrated chastity. Bosway says that chastity or perfect virginity is something that places us above our bodies such that we have in our flesh something that does not belong to our flesh. So this is manifested in the fact that, that those who take the vow of chastity are compared to the angels, in the sense that the angels don't get married. If you're a pure spirit and you don't have a body, 
well, you, you can't get married to someone and how start having children. You need a body to have children so the angels don't have bodies. And those who take a vow of chastity are like the angels in this respect. They forego marriage in order to leave, live a more spiritual life. And that's the type of life that our Lord lived. We also compare the consecrated virgin to those who dwell in heaven. Similar to the angels, the, the condition of those who are living in heaven is the condition of the unmarried, people who do not get married. Our Lord says, the children of this world marry, but those who go to heaven shall neither be married nor take wives. They are equal to the angels. So those aspects of the life of a consecrated celibacy shows that it has someone lead a life that's kind of like not even of this world, kind of living outside of this world by the fact that they, they do not um, get married and use their body in this way. It's a supernatural life, and it sets aside the natural use of the body and so makes a person live in a certain degree as if he had no body at all. The third aspect that is characteristics of our, of our Lord's life and which manifests is to be a holy supernatural life is, as you probably know, obedience. Our Lord was obedient in his life to such a degree that it almost seemed as if he had no will of his own. He was completely subject to Our Lady and St. Joseph in Nazareth for 30 years of his life. He only began his public life with the permission of Our Lady and all throughout that public life, he's constantly saying, if you pay close attention when you're reading the Gospel of St. John, he's constantly saying that he's not come to do his own will, but the will of his Father. How many times in that Gospel he's referring to the will of the Father? As if he doesn't have a will of his own. This is why St. Thomas says the virtue of obedience is the virtue that is most evident in our Lord's life. And why St. Paul says that our Lord became obedient even unto death. Meaning that he was, he was obedient from the beginning of his life until the very end of his life, and he was obedient in the supreme act of obedience in accomplishing the will of the Father to give up his life with his death on the cross. So someone who goes throughout his whole life being obedient to God rather than his own desires is living a life that belongs more to the next world than this world. We know that when we're in heaven, we will be utterly and completely conformed to the will of God in everything that we do and that we think. So those are the three key aspects of our Lord's life, poverty, chastity, and obedience. And they represent a way of life that the world had never seen before. And which was in itself, as I say, as a result, a revelation to the world. It was something new, a new way of life that was being shown to them living on the supernatural plane. Poverty has one live in a state of detachment from material things and attachment to spiritual things. Chastity has one live in a state of detachment from the movements of one's own body and the natural desire to form a family so that one can marry, as it were, God and his church, which are spiritual entities. And obedience has one live in a state of detachment from one's own will such that one does not follow his own desires and plans in life but always follows the will of God alone. And so one who lives this kind of life is definitely living on the supernatural level. It's much more a supernatural life than a natural life. It is above the plane of this world.
because he's freeing himself from the things of this earth. He's freeing himself from his material possessions, his body, and even the movements of his own will, his own soul. And that, that even which belongs to this earth is being surrendered to God. Pope Pius XII, he says that this type of life was a precious treasure that our Lord left as an inheritance to his church. Now, it's clear that everyone in the world has to practice this way of life to some degree if they want to be saved. If you want to be saved, you've got to practice poverty, chastity, and obedience to some degree. Your life has to be supernatural to some degree. Your life has to imitate our Lord to some degree. Or else you will not make it. You are not a follower of Christ. The married, those who are married, it's very important that they be poor in spirit in the sense that they be detached from the things that they own. It's important that they be chaste in the sense that they are, they set strict limits to the exercise of their marital rights. They can only exercise them with regards to a single person and they have to be faithful to that person for the rest of their life. Married couples also have to be obedient in the sense that they have to be continually looking for the will of God in the decisions they make in their marriage, and they have to put God's will above their own will. So poverty, chastity, and obedience definitely have to be practiced by all Catholics if they want to save their souls. But it's so necessary for the salvation of souls that there will be some who strive to follow our Lord as closely as possible. And so our Lord chooses some people to imitate his mode of life as exactly as possible in the way that, that he lived his life. We know that our Lord does not impose that, that new way of life on everyone. He simply offers it to certain souls. It's not a command. It's just a recommendation. If. He makes it an option. If you want to be perfect, this is what you need to do. Not everyone can do this, he said. But lo- let those who can take it, let them take it. We may ask ourselves, why does the world need people who follow that way of consecrated life, where they take as the very goal of their life to imitate the poverty, chastity, and obedience of our Lord as perfectly as possible? Why do we need these kind of people in this world? Why can we say even that the world cannot survive without there being consecrated souls, and even that the health of the world can be measured by how many people dedicate their life to our Lord in this way? Well, the answer is quite simple. Every single human being is made for God. But people are only led to God by consecrated souls. Therefore, consecrated souls are absolutely necessary to enable human beings to achieve their purpose in life. The only way that people in this world are going to be led to heaven is if there exist consecrated souls. To show that this is true, I want you to consider two different scenarios. In the first scenario, consider if there was only one priest in the United States, and there was only one convent with ten nuns, and there was only one monastery with ten monks. What sort of situation we would have for the salvation of the people of the United States of America? In such a situation, it would be nearly impossible to get to Mass. You would even have to travel where that one priest was or the one monastery in order to receive the sacraments. 
And how many people would do that? Obviously, very, very few people would do that. We know that the Curie of ours, he says something like, you leave a town without a priest for a generation, and they'll start worshiping beasts. They'll fall into the most egregious idolatry in a very short time if they do not have a priest. And the fact is that a world without priests, without monks, without nuns, is a world that falls rapidly into the worst forms of paganism. Such a world lacks some absolutely essential element for getting to heaven, and that is consecrated souls who strive to live the very life that Christ led and constantly remind others that we're not made for the things of this earth. That's the first scenario, a bit of a nightmare. But consider a second scenario where there were like 10 priests, 10 nuns, and 10 monks every 20 miles in the United States. You just have to go you know, 20 miles and you would, you would bump into monasteries or, or convents or, or priests. They were just sort of everywhere in the United States. And in such a situation, the supernatural would be omnipresent in society. It would be impossible for people to forget that they're made for heaven. The effects of all these consecrated souls would be constantly rippling out over society such that society itself would almost be supernaturalized by the fact that these consecrated souls were there. Think about the difference in how many souls would be saved in the first scenario as opposed to the second scenario. In the first, very, very few people would make it to heaven. But in the second, I would predict that even the majority of people would make it to heaven if there were so many consecrated souls around. The majority of people would make it to heaven. So my dear faithful, our Lord lives and works in every aspect of his church, but he works especially through the means of consecrated souls. He's willed that certain people be called to imitate his life as closely as possible and so that they would be his primary instruments for the sanctification of mankind, for enabling people to reach heaven. And that's why we're always praying for vocations. Because we want souls to be saved. We look out over the world, all these people in the world, these billions of people in the world, we don't want them to go to hell. We want them to save their souls. And we recognize that the main way for this to happen is through an increase of vocations. And the Society of St. Pius X, over the, over the decades, you know, the society is almost 50 years old now. We've almost reached a half century. Next year will be the, the uh, 50 years anniversary of, this, of the founding of the Society of St. Pius X by Archbishop Lefebvre. So over the decades, we've been constantly increasing in the rate of growth of, of our chapels, of our schools, and, and of our, our faithful, sort of a, this, this exponential growth the number of our faithful and the number of our students and so on. But for some reason, the number of our, of our vocations seems to remain roughly the same from, from year to year. We've just sort of on the same plateau. Um, so in other words, we've been having about the same number of ordinations and religious professions um, in, in 2019, 2018, um, as we had in 2010, 2000, 1990, 1980, and so on. There hasn't been this constant increase such that we would have 50 priests ordained this year, you know, and we, 10 years ago we had 40 priests ordained. 10 years before that we had 30 priests ordained. It's just not happening. We're just keeping the same constant rate. Perhaps it's because we can't keep pace with the corrupting influence of technology. Perhaps it's because we're more materialistic than we should be, 
Or perhaps the consecrated souls themselves are just not leading sufficiently holy lives in order to inspire many vocations. Maybe it's all three of those. But whatever the cause, we have to desire with all of our hearts that God call many souls to the consecrated life for the salvation of souls. O Lord, grant us many holy priests, grant us many holy religious vocations. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.